You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Claret and Blue podcast. Today I'm joined by Alistair Gold, uh, football.london's Tottenham correspondent. Alistair, how's things? Yeah, all good. As good as it can be, covering Tottenham Hotspur. They like to throw up a few little kind of twists and turns as the season goes on, and they've started that already. But other than that, all good. It was all rosy a few weeks ago. Nuno, uh, manager of the month, and... Everything was fine, but just shows you how quickly it can turn. And what's the feeling amongst the fans at the moment after the North London derby? Is it a bit, a bit unrest at the moment? Yeah, just a bit, just a bit. Yeah, as you say, last football, isn't it? Very much uh, going from uh, manager of the month. What three weeks ago, I think he was named to. You know, now some fans will tell you he's the worst manager of the month. Um, but that's football, and it certainly is the way with Tottenham for some reason. And. Uh, yeah, yeah. Last night was a little bit better for Tottenham, but after North London derby, I think he's got to win a lot of fans back. Three defeats, three derbies, three goals conceded in each of them. Hasn't been a good few weeks for Tottenham. No, it hasn't. And obviously, Villa come to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Sunday, two o'clock, full of confidence. Alice, they won at Old Trafford at the weekend, second time in my lifetime, and things are buoyant at the moment. And the shadow of Jack Grealish is long gone, and. Villa built a really good team here and it's not the same among Spurs at the moment. I mean, Harry Kane got a hat-trick last night, we know, in Europe. And has he been firing of late? I mean, what's the issue there with Harry? Yeah, he's... Um, last night, I think Spurs fans will be hoping that's a good sign. There was a, Maybe he looked very sharp. It was only about 20 minutes or so, his hat-trick. But he's very much... There's been a hangover. You know, there's no getting around it. There's been a hangover from... Losing with England in the final, a transfer window where, let's be honest, he wanted to move on and it didn't happen. Um, now he's kind of set his focus back on Tottenham, but I think he's playing catch up with his fitness, his sharpness, just kind of just getting his head around being a Tottenham Hotspur player still, I think, mm. as well. And he's scoring goals in the Cups. I mean, he's got six goals in nine games, which doesn't look too bad, but ultimately it's five Premier League games and zero goals within that. So... It's kind of a, a bit of a false picture that's painting. Um, yeah, he was... Last night was probably exactly what he and Tottenham needed. Um, he'll come into Sunday, you know, at the same ground. Um, a little bit more confident, certainly. Just, you know, muscle memory of scoring goals again is always a good thing. Um, but yeah, it's Aston Villa. And we know exactly what happened with Aston Villa last season, at the end of the season. And uh, there was some... Ugly scenes among the uh, the fans after that match last season. Yeah. So Spurs will certainly uh, get a much sterner test than they did against Ennis Mura last night. Yeah, I felt sorry for Ryan Mason that, that night. He got some stick as well. Very ugly scenes, like you say. I mean, I mean, Kane scored seven against eight against Villa, and he likes playing against Villa Kane. And I mean, Villa relish a challenge of stopping him at the weekend. If, if he's playing well, how can Villa stop him? I mean, see a few notes over the overnight. To get Kane in the box, he's a, he's a goal scorer. When he drops deep, that's where the problems arise. I mean, what's, what's your stance on that? Yeah, it's... Um, I think a lot of the problem around Kane has probably been the creativity around him hasn't been there this season. Um, you know, they've probably still never replaced Christian Eriksen fully. And he left, what, like 18 months ago or so? Um, and that's why you see Kane drop that little bit deeper to try and become a bit of everything become a bit of a striker and a playmaker all rolled into one, which it certainly worked at times last season. Um, you know, he was he won the awards, didn't he? The Premier League top scorer award and also the playmaker award for the most assists. So he can do it. 
But the problem is, if he is going to do that, then everyone else has to be a willing runner around him. So you need a Son or a Lucas to be bombing into the box to take advantage of whatever Kane then does with the ball. Um, and that's been Spurs' big problem is they keep using this expression, Nuno Spurgeon-Santo keep using it, Hugo Lloris used it after North London derby, about players being too far away from each other. Mm-hmm. They switched this 4-3-3 under Nuno, which had some success early in the season. Um, you know, first three games, they won all of them 1-0. But I think they're finding as they go on that with those three bankers of players, they're just becoming more and more separated. And last night, for the first time, he went for a 4-2-3-1, which has been Tottenham's go-to formation in recent seasons. And look, you've got to have the massive caveat of it being probably the lowest-ranked team Spurs are going to face in that competition, the Slovenian side, Mura. But it just got players further up the pitch and there was less space um, in terms of between Spurs lines. And even Delhi, Delhi Alley has been playing in a deeper midfield role, whereas last night, he was pushed up and within three minutes won a penalty, scored the penalty. Yeah. I think that's what Kane needs. He needs willing runners around him, people that are going to be close to him, get into the box. And that's what, you know, that's what can hurt Villa. But ultimately, you know, I can, I can only point again to last season and Villa Villa know what to do when they're coming to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Mm. I mean, look, it's pointed towards a 4-2-3. Well, I've seen Carragher rip, uh, rip the midfield to bits last, last Sunday. Um, yeah. yeah. Two strikers, Ollie Watkins and Danny Ings. I think those transfer interest in both of them from Spur, on Spurs' behalf. Villa acted on it on both occasions. And what have you liked from them, Pay? I mean, Watkins has yet to score this, this, this season, but he's back in the England setup. As for Danny Ings, he's got two goals, two assists from his... First six games, proven goal scorer. Uh, I'm looking to regret that, given Kane's form. Or, or, or what do you know about them, pair and, and the interest? Yeah, 100%. 100% regret. That has to be there because Spurs have always had this problem and it's a big Harry Kane-shaped problem in that yeah. whoever you want to try and bring in knows that Spurs are probably never going to switch to a front two. And if they do, it's Son up front with Kane. You know, with, with no disrespect to any other strikers out there, Son and Kane are probably one of the best partnerships in the Premier League. They are, you know, their numbers last season showed that once again. So they Spurs will never pay what they might feel is over the odds for a striker. So they looked at Ollie Watkins and and you know they had a serious look at him because Spurs had big problems with homegrown numbers as well. So he was perfect solution. But you know, as soon as the price started to get to that 30 million mark, they just drifted away and that they don't like to compete in terms of for players like that for some reason. And I think that's gone on to, to be shown to be a, a, well, I say a wrong decision, but whether Watkins himself would have chosen to come to a team where he would have sat on the bench, you know, he may well not have decided that anyway. And the same with Danny Eames, another player that Spurs have really looked at, really like him. And there was even some indications that he, he might have liked the move to Tottenham. But uh, I think personally, he's probably made the better move for his own career, I think, with Villa as well, because, you know... I'm intrigued to see how they, they work as a partnership going forward, uh, Watkins and things. I mean, how have they how have they paired up so far in the opening matches? Yeah, they're still working on the understanding, Alistair. Um, it's quite new to Watkins. I mean, Danny Ings played in the two at Southampton continuously last season. As Watkins, he's still his little bits chesting it down to each other and then not going to the return pass. They're still, still building on the understanding, but these with chuff with them off the ball, the four defenders into mistakes, the relentless press as the pair of them. and and that, that's where Tottenham could, could come and stuck at the weekend. If you dally, dally, dally around with the ball at the back, your Romero's and whatnot, then Villa were up to pounce. And they got success out of that with Ruggian at the end of last season, didn't they, with the own goal and whatnot. So, yeah, I think Villa looked to press from the front. That, that, that sets the tone for Villa. And uh, like I say, they're still working on their understanding. So, 
Hopefully, Ali Watkins gets amongst the goals first of the season Sunday. Big Arsenal fan as well, so we want to score there. But um, we are chuck some stats at you because we're big on stats here. I mean, we're yeah. behind a set piece coach this season. It's it's working a real treat. I think I think other, other clubs are going to follow suit in, in that too distant future. Spurs have conceded thirty shots from set pieces, second highest in the Premier League. So that's a weakness uh, Villa will look to jump on. Um, no team has, has had less shots from open play than Spurs as well. So a bit toothless up front, like you say, with the creativity issue. And um, yeah, and now this week, Spurs have covered the least ground as well in the Premier League. So not, not running for Nuno. So, I mean, there's, there's issues. There. I mean, you look down in the dumps now, Alistair, talking about, about Spurs, but <laughs> it doesn't bode well, does it? Uh, no, no. I think for me, the biggest stat was that last one. And I've written about that kind of in recent weeks. Mm. Uh, for Nuno, you know, his big thing at Wolves was that he, uh, you know, he had a, a really fit team, a team that did a lot of running, covered a lot of ground, and they worked incredibly hard. And for him to see the stats that shows that they're, you know, the lowest in the Premier League for covering distance on a pitch, that's, I think that will probably sting him more than anything. Because, yeah, it just shows a, a lack of application, a lack of, I think, probably also an understanding where each other needs to be on the pitch. I mean, Deli Ali said last night, he's right, you know, that Spurs have had a lot of problems in the last few years. Um, and anyone that thought that Nuno was going to come in and click his fingers and everything was going to be fixed, it just wasn't going to be the case whatsoever. Um, but I just think, I think the style of play has worried the Spurs fans. You know, Daniel Levy, the Spurs chairman, made this big promise Um Funnily enough, I think it was in the programme notes for the Villa game um, about he was going to go out there and he was going to bring in a new manager who would play this attractive, entertaining and free-flowing football. And I think it was like, it's probably the worst thing he could have come out with because then the whole manager search got defined by that and then ultimately took a big twist when Fabio Paratici came in, the new manager director of football from Juventus and wanted a different kind of manager. He wanted a more balanced manager. And that's what he's got in, in Nuno. And um, I think the fans were worried. The fans were suddenly concerned that, oh, my goodness, we're not going to get our you know, Tottenham way or whatever they want to call it of football. And after the first three games, you know, 1-0, you can take it when you're winning. That's absolutely fine. And against Man City, you know, they played well after the first 20 minutes or so. But then to see this continued kind of inability in front of goal in the Premier League. And like I say, three derby defeats is, is a real kind of punch to the gut, I think, for what Nuno's trying to do as well. Um, yeah, it, it's been a strange couple of weeks. They've kind of had real highs and lows all squeezed in. And the international break was an absolute disaster for Tottenham. They lost uh, three players to isolation, the South American players. Obviously, Aston Villa know about that as well with uh, yeah. Wendy and Martinez. And then they also lost another... Four players, I think it was, to injury. And then Eric Dyer, the match after international break, then got himself injured. Yeah, it, it's it's been a tough time. Throw in the Kane saga, throw in Tongi and Dembele wanting to leave as well and not getting a move. And Nuno's had a tough old task on his hands. He really has, you know. Mm. Jose Mourinho did some good things, but he also left the club that had already, to be fair to him, was fractured after Pochettino's departure. I think Nuno's trying to piece everything back together again. But he's going to need time. But, you know, you and I both well know in football, just do you get that time nowadays? Yeah. We did a piece of, a couple of days ago now, Villa cashing on Grealish. They didn't want to. £100 million, they reinvested that. Leon Bailey, brilliant signing. And and they're looking, I mean, obviously it's only the way we can. He stayed a bit unhappy, uncertain summer. And um, Spurs are suffering for that at the moment in time. But I think I think Spurs, I think Villa, Villa Dean Smith keeps mentioning Tottenham and your Everton's and your, and your, and your, and your Leicester's. Villa want to get... 
late leapfrogger. So I mean, Spurs are a bit a bit struggling at the moment. I think Villa want to send that statement at the Tottenham Hotspur on Sunday and think we're back amongst this group. I mean, ten years ago they were competing on the top six, top four, four level, and I think Villa are back amongst it now. So is, is that a worry for Spurs if they're going to drift down? And others will catch them. You, you, I mean, Leicester already have done, and people like that. Is that, is that a concern amongst the club? Yeah, I think so. You know, Spurs under Poch were, you know, four years in a row, top, there were certainly three years in a row, top three, finished second one of those. They were fourth in his last full season as well. And they've absolutely plummeted down those, um, down the table. I say plummeted, there's probably a slight exaggeration. We're not talking, you know, <laughs> mid table or lower reaches or anything. But in terms of where they were, they're right out of the Champions League. I mean, they're playing in the Europa Conference League, which. Mm. For Tottenham Hotspur, in recent history, you know, two years ago and being in the Champions League final, that's, it's so poor. It really is. It's a very different competition, of course. Um, and yeah, I think Aston Villa, you know, they're doing everything the right way. And you can see that. Um, you know, I've got to admit, on a personal level, I always I love going to Villa Park. It's one of my favourite grounds. It's one of those kind of traditional grounds. But you can see on, on the pitch, you know, that they're trying to get back to where they were as well. And they're doing a lot of right things. And you can definitely draw parallels maybe between what they've done with Grealish. You know, yeah. perhaps for them, it could be a little bit like Liverpool and Coutinho, that that yeah. one move where nobody really wanted it to happen, but they may be able to make the best out of that bad situation and create a more even squad, something that kind of suits them better for the long term. Um, and, you know, some people maybe were saying the same with Harry Kane and Tottenham. I think it's probably more difficult for Tottenham for, for, to lose an out-and-out goal scorer who brings you so many goals. Mm. You probably can't replace that quite as easily because, well, certainly Tottenham have proved bringing in strikers from abroad into the Premier League doesn't always bring success at all. Spurs have had a lot of duds up front. Um, but, yeah, no, I think Spurs should be worried about Villa. Like they're doing a lot of good things. Dean Smith, I think. Do you know what? I was really surprised that Dean Smith was never, and I'm sorry to say this to Villa fans, but I was really surprised he was never in the talk about Tottenham's new manager. I really didn't, because mm. I think he's done that good a job. Interesting. Um, and especially, you know, ending up with Nuno, who, you know, certainly last season, uh, you know, with Wolves and Villa, you know, you, you can look at how Villa did compared to Wolves and everything. And uh, I was surprised he was never mentioned. I really was. And uh, obviously, great news for Villa, as you can see. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think Spurs should be worried about Villa. I think they're they're building towards something, and um, like I said, they do stuff in the right way as well. I like like to see football clubs like that. Yeah, awesome. I was going through for those watching. I think my, my pre predicted lineup. I think I think it'd be as you were last week. I think it'd be Martinez in goal. I think it'd be a back three, Alistair. I think it'd be um, Kansa, Courtney Horse, and Tyrone Mings. Wing backs. I mean, the new system is suiting the wing backs down to a T. Matty Cash especially. He'll be on the right-hand side, Matt, Matt Target on the left. And then the midfield three, John McGinn, he's been outstanding this season. Scored on the opening day against Tottenham a couple of years ago and he's coming into his own now. Douglas Louise and Jacob Ramsey in there. He's just been called to the under-21 side as well. And then up front to be a, a twosome. Yeah, Danny Ings and Ollie Watkins, two-player Spurs, were interested in signing. So that, that, they'll be looking to haunt Tottenham at the weekend. And we'll see what, what you predicted line-up for Spurs. Alistair, how would they line up? Will it be a 4-3-3 again or... Back to the tried and trusted. I think that I think I'd hope for him. I'd hope he sticks with a four-two-three-one now after last night. I don't think the four-three-three is getting the best out of the players. Mm. Um, last night and in the second half against Arsenal, a couple of players kind of made their claims. Oliver Skip, in particular, another England under twenty-one international. Yeah. He he's probably been one of Spurs' best players, but for some reason was dropped from the starting lineup for the the North London derby and Spurs. 
they just didn't have that bite. They didn't have that kind of guy in the middle who, who knows what a derby's about. So I'd imagine he'll come back in. So if they're going for a 4-2-3-1, you're probably going to have Loris in goal, uh, Regan on at left back. I think he'll probably go for maybe Dyer and Romero at the back. Right back would be an interesting one, whether he goes for Jack at Tanganga, a little bit more of a defensive right back. Um, he likes to do that because then it allows him to have like a back three in possession. Yeah. Um, and then the midfield two will probably be Hoybier and Skip. And then it's big decisions, really, who plays behind Kane, because you're going to have Lucas and Son. But the big kind of issue that I think is going to be that number 10 role, because Delhi isn't not a natural number 10. He's a support striker. He can play that. He's been playing in a deeper role. But as you're kind of creative playing a number 10, it's not what he really does. Whereas Lo Celso, as soon as Delhi went off last night, Lo Celso moved into a number 10 role and he was superb. Um, but obviously, it's NS Mora. You can't get too carried away. So I think the decision there is going to be between Ali, Lo Celso and Tongi Ondebele, who's had a mixed season. He's been okay. Um, he was pretty awful against Arsenal, as, as Jamie Carragher kind of pointed out, all, all the midfield were. So, yeah, I think every pretty much every point in that team is probably set apart from that number 10. And to be honest, it's probably the most crucial decision he's got because they need to create, otherwise it's going to be another tough day. Yeah, we'll wrap things up now. I think I think I can see Villa winning. The momentum's massive at the moment. And just going into this international break as well, just how important is the result for Nuno? If he loses, does the pressure crank up? And will it be too much? Yeah. Or will his job be on the line? Or... With a point getting seen through it. I mean, how how are you seeing the results on, on the weekend? In front of what probably will be a full house, or it's certainly a, you know, at least 60,000 in there, I think Spurs have to get the win. I think they yeah. do after recent results. Probably at the least give a performance that shows everyone that they're turning the corner properly. Um, I think they need to get a win. Otherwise, it becomes a very uncomfortable and awkward international break. It really does. It's very early. And in, you know, Anyone with a sane, logical mind probably wouldn't be looking at changing their manager after seven Premier League games, but yeah. it's the way the Premier League is and the way Tottenham can be as well. You know, who knows? Who knows? Alice, thanks for joining. Mr Tottenham Hotspur, um, I'll see you on Sunday. Hope for a good game and we'll see what happens, see what pans out. So thanks again. Thanks to those who listened along and watched along. And we'll be back next week for the international break as well. And uh, thanks for joining. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode, but until then, up the villa. Up the villa.